guys, we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome, everybody. This is Kwajo uh, Karamantang representing Solving Healthcare, podcast of champions. And we're bringing back, I'm pretty sure, the most requested guest. Oh. I don't I don't know, but maybe just like uh, most requested or, or like at least made the most appearance. Um, most appearance, the most appearance for sure, yeah. Amazing, amazing. So uh, we got Dr. Chakrabarty, and uh, he, this is a man that bears no introduction. Uh, infectious disease doc, uh, friend, I'll say colleague, um, and I, we're excited to talk about a few things today. So number one, you missed our, our mega show with uh, uh, Zane, uh, with Stefan and, uh, and Monica. Can you explain to everybody what happened? Yeah. So I had a kid. Um, <laughs> uh, she was born on the 21st. So I think, uh, when was the show? It was the 23rd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to do it, but then I just thought to myself, you know, we got the two first two kids in bed. It probably wasn't a good idea, but uh, it, it was, it actually, everything went well. The transition hasn't been too bad. I've, I have three girls now, so uh, it's um, uh, it, certainly a new uh, frontier where we're getting <laughs> used to it, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't in the cards that night. Well, congratulations. And you know what? Uh, we're just happy that uh, everything worked out and you got lovely, healthy family. Everyone's doing good. Um, so, you know what? I I, I want to start with what, what really has been driving discussions lately, uh, and uh, we'll get we'll get we'll get to talking about exit strategy because I know you were pretty passionate about wanting to say some business about that. But let's talk about the essentially the lockdowns that we're in right now. Um, you, you and I have been pretty vocal about not wanting to see this, not, not and, and trying to avoid this being 20 plus months into the pandemic and the dev- devastating impacts. But like, maybe just start like how you felt when you heard that announcement on Monday. 
I was, um, you know, really, really surprised and frustrated and, you know, gobsmacked, if, if you will, uh, seeing that. It's just that I thought, especially with the way uh, when Dr. Moore was talking to us back in, I think it was around September, October, that, look, we want to keep things uh, in, in check uh, without causing any disruptive lockdowns. So I figured that we had seen the last of it. I get it. Omicron was a surprise. Uh, but, you know, we're two years into this thing. We've learned a thing or two. We have uh, more, way more tools under our belt. We have 90% close to eligible people on the ground vaccinated. You know, what are we doing? Why does this feel like we're back in March 2020 again? Which, by the way, if you ask a lot of people on the street, that's what it feels like, right? And uh, and that's how I felt. And uh, at that time, I'll be honest with you. And I, I told you, Quadro, that like I just felt like, why am I doing any of this? Like, uh, I, I've been speaking uh, my mind uh, to the best of my ability in good faith. And in the end, you know, they end up doing something that has really no scientific basis to it in my mind. Uh, and it, it was very upsetting. And plus, I have a kid in school now. She's four years old in JK. I know it's not, uh, you know, uh, physics 101, but uh, you know, having her there, like, and, and just seeing how awful it is uh, to, ha- to have the kids, uh, I should say awful, I, I should say difficult to have the kids mm. not face-to-face, it, it hit much more close to home for me this time. I can imagine, like, being the first, first time having your kids go through school and, and I got to echo this too, man, like the emotions of like that roller coaster, like on, when we heard that announcement by Dr. Moore, like I was telling people, it was, I think it was new year's Eve. Right. I was telling people, this is a celebration. People, you don't yeah. understand what this means. We're exiting this bad boy. We're having a realistic expectations. We're having a, a pivot or pivot, if you will. And, <laughs> and uh, like, it was a celebration. And this complete 180 on Monday. And I got to say, like, I got a little bit of heat for that, but I went on Twitter and I went off a little bit and apologize <laughs> if I upset some, but that, that was raw emotion, raw emotion. When you're thinking about how it's going to impact your family and all those that are underserviced. And like, 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 what do you, like, what would you have liked to see? Like, let, let's, let's be honest. And we're in a situation where there's, Mounting cases, hospital, there's a hospital strain now. You know what I mean? Cases are rising, like even, sorry, hospitalizations are rising as well. Um, Like, what would you have liked to see in terms of a reaction? You know, it's obviously easy for me to talk in retrospect and also as somebody who's not making the decision. But I think that looking at what's happening right now, I think that there's this sense that we have a lot more control over this than than we actually do. Think about this right now you know, whatever we're seeing as the case count, uh, the highest we ever got to was 18,000 a day. And more likely that was what, 35. Uh, Zane Chago is estimating 40,000 cases a day. If you have a wave coming at you where you're seeing 40,000 cases a day, me closing down, um, you know, uh, Boston pizza, me telling people to not hang with their family for a couple of nights is not going to make a difference. Right. Mm. This is happening. This is what happens during the winter months. Uh, they did do some, I think, reasonable um, restrictions with the largest gatherings, like the, the huge ones. OK, I can understand that. And I just wish they had kept it where it was. Mm. Right. You're, you're going to see um, uh, I mentioned this a lot recently and uh, uh, we don't hear this a lot kind of uh, broadly spoken. But after Christmas, after New Year's, contacts naturally precipitously drop. 
Mm. Right? People just aren't getting together with their families. So that makes a huge difference up front. That's one thing that makes a population-wide difference, uh, mm. in my opinion. So I wish they had just held on. Uh, and yeah, it's going to get ugly for a little bit. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to get as ugly as the third wave did, but it's going to get tough, right? Especially with our, sh- our staff shortages. But kind of seeing that and waiting, and then when things get better, uh, and not constantly I'm thinking that when things get bad, you need to restrict and lock down. That knee-jerk reaction, that association that many people have is what uh, I think upsets me, and I think this could have been avoided. I mean, you bring up really good points. Like, one, I've been saying this, too, like, the cat's out of the bag. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, like, truly, like, when you're when you decide to add these restrictions and you're talking, as you said, like, I think that 40000 a day is is a very fair assessment of what's going on in Ontario, if not higher. Um, and then you have the natural reduction in, in, in contacts um, over Christmas and, and or past New Year's. Um, realistically, you know, I'm not, I, I personally have a similar feeling like if those, those are those restrictions going to actually make a difference. And I've been also saying a lot, Suman, like, like I'd like to see more interventions done like i don't know how, how like how you feel about like our overall booster approach for example the booster approach i have to be honest with you uh you know with um omicron or not so even before omicron came i think that it made sense to me that uh, people that are over the age of 60 uh that's where we were seeing uh initial early evidence that there was a um, reduction in the risk sorry the the uh, a decrease in the reduction let me start again a decrease in the protection against severe disease. Right. Okay, that we saw that, uh, but we haven't seen that in younger age groups. So for me, it makes sense that you get that age group, you get people who are immune suppressed, and get get them that third dose. Mm. For, to me, that makes sense not just because of uh, COVID, but just what we know about vaccines and how they work, especially in uh, immunosenescence and in uh, immune compromise. I think this push to do a, a population wide um, booster didn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I think that uh, it set up a situation where you had like 18 year olds going to uh, a lineup in the, you know, in the dead of winter and, you know, people who needed it, not being able to get to get the shot as easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at what Omicron did, yeah, there were some in vitro studies that showed that you might be able to get some neutralizing antibodies, but we know that these things wane with time as well. And, you know, Omicron is immune evasive and the very antibodies you're boosting are the ones that it can avoid. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't think that the booster, this widespread booster um, uh, could make a difference. And I'll say one other thing that I think has been lost in the conversation is that a uh, vaccination, especially one like the uh, COVID vaccination, is a awesome vaccine. It works really well, but this is an inflammatory vaccine. It's very uh, immune stimulating. Uh, and, you know, doing that over and over again can cause problems. And, you know, and we've seen some evidence that there is excess uh, myocarditis in young men uh, uh, doing that. So I just think we have to be careful uh, about just doing these things on conjecture. I get it for the older age groups. I get it for um, immune compromised, but a population wide thing with no data, I think that uh, it wasn't going to work. And now we're seeing around the world, the results showing that it didn't really have much of an, uh, of a benefit against Omicron. Yeah. I mean, this is where I, I also felt pretty strongly. Like I, I worried. So one, yeah, strictly approaching this from a data, data uh, driven uh, approach. 
you know, once once you get to the younger demographics, are you seeing any impact on severe disease? And we weren't. Um, and then my worry was, and I use this anecdote, like we we I ran into a guy in his seventies. He's like, I can't get a, a bloody booster, and he, he had a little bit of truncal obesity too. And I'm like, this is messed. If we can't get this guy a booster, and you know. Kieran or, or like little Jimmy, 22 year old is getting it, getting his third dose. Like this is not, this is not part of the solution. Cause like you, I would say like, you look at who's at risk of landing in our hospital and it's not our 22 year old kids. It's the yeah. 70 year olds that uh, have, you know, that are comorbid. Uh, like, I, I just feel like we need to be more targeted often, you know, like we know who's at risk. And I don't know if we've, I don't know if you feel the same way, but do people know, do you think people know who's at risk of being hospitalized? Like, do you think people know their own personal risk? Uh, you, you know, I think that uh, with the messaging that we've heard, the answer is probably no in general. I think that you talk to people, especially those who are very fearful of, of getting COVID, um, they don't realize the risk. I think that one thing I will say is um, when you look at the messaging, People are, uh, when we talk about the effect of the vaccine, there's a mix up between the protection against severe disease and the protection against infection. Mm. So I think in general, people know that the vaccine is awesome to this day. I, I got vaccinated uh, over a year ago now with my, my first dose. Um, to this day, you know, your, my protection against severe disease is still there, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's gone down a little bit, but it's still there. Uh, but the thing is that we keep talking about the protection against infection, infection. And I don't think that's been well communicated. So if, if somebody's listening here for the first time, what I mean by that is protection against infection is if I get exposed to COVID, I don't get, uh, I may not have a positive test and I get no symptoms, right? Mm. Uh, whereas what I worry about or what I want is something that's protecting me against severe illness. So if I get uh, uh, exposed to COVID now, I don't care if I get a fever and I'm in bed for a couple of days or, you know, I feel like garbage or I get a stuffy nose. But the fact that it's keeping me out of hospitals, I think, what uh, is the uh, main thing for me. And that idea, I don't think, has been uh, well stated in, in, in the communication. And, you know, uh, when you're looking at uh, uh, what the booster does, well, the booster is, I think, can help somebody who has, who's 60 years old, but you're just basically boosting antibodies for somebody under that age, let's say a healthy 40-year-old. You're boosting antibodies that are already there in your memory response, and you're not really adding anything in terms of protection against severe disease, which as it is, is low in somebody who's under the age of right. 50, or, uh, 50 or 60. Yeah. And you bring up the point, which I'm, I'm a little bit anti with you getting a lot of talk about like even 17 year olds getting boosted. And I, I like I do, and you brought this up about the, you know, the inflammation, pro-inflammatory response, like, you know, 17 year old getting the third shot, man, especially if it's mandated, you know, there is that risk of myocarditis. Like I haven't seen the third dose. I don't, I haven't seen a study on third doses on 17 year olds yet. And maybe there is one. I don't know if there is, but we already seen some pretty um, concerning myocarditis signals with, uh, with our youth, like our male youth, especially. And so this is where I think we like, let's be data driven. Let's think about this a little bit. Let's not create more problems than we need to and ask and, and really focus our attention on those that are at risk of being hospitalized, especially like, like you get, 
like we gotta also think about transmission at this stage, like with Omicron. Like, what's your feel about you know reducing transmission based on booster status or second dose? What's what's your feel? Yeah, that was a, another point. Is that I think for me, one thing that has been disappointing about the vaccine, and again, I'm being crystal clear here: this vaccine is awesome, magical. I got it magical it's uh, keeping Tremendous. so many people out of hospital it, it, it's really changing but yeah the, the uh protection against transmission has been disappointing i think that uh for those of us uh, you know you've heard the term waning immunity and that's more not for your protection against severe disease but when your antibodies drop we do clinically see that your risk of getting symptoms if you're exposed to covid gets higher when you uh are further out. And the other thing is you, you can, you, there still is protection against transmission, but it's, it's not as good, you know, three to four months out. And there's multiple places now showing that after the booster, you initially get that increase in antibodies, but they wane again. And that, that uh, protection against transmission is really not that great. Mm-hmm. So I think that with keeping that in mind and keeping in mind how um, quickly uh, Omicron can transmit, we really have to pivot here because I think that, yeah, okay, if I get my booster today, for a couple of weeks, I might be uh, transmitting a bit less, but it's a drop in an ocean compared to this this huge wave that's come at us, which will, which will end soon, but I just think that we have to be realistic. And, and, what, and what's your general vibe with Omicron? Like, you were seeing all this data saying you know, less virulent, more transmissible. I think we're in in, in agreement with that. But uh, wh- what are you seeing in terms of how it's in affecting hospitalizations? Are you anxious about the denominator uh, phenomenon where we're saying that if you infect so many people, even if it's less severe, it really puts you, it still could put a, a significant strain on the, on your on your healthcare system. What's your feel? Yeah, I, I think that everything you said there is important to consider. So first of all, there's no doubt Omicron is milder, right? When you, when you look at the entirety of what we're seeing is that uh, the clinical course is different. It's certainly different than Alpha and Delta, and um, that is awesome. But yes, at the same time, these two things can be true. I'm not a, uh, I, I've been uh, accused of being a denialist. No, like the other thing we have to consider is that there is such a rapid expansion in cases all at the same time. So even if you see a small proportion of those are mild, or sorry, sorry a bit more severe enough to hospitalize you, that can be a lot of hospitalizations. Mm. We certainly are seeing that. But clinically, and, and, and uh, Quadro, I'm, I'll ask what you're seeing in, in uh, Ottawa, but on our side, and I think that people are seeing this around the world is that, when people are coming to hospital, we're seeing a lot less of that classic COVID pneumonia where people get the bilateral um, uh, infiltrates, hypoxia, needing oxygen, people needing to be put on the ventilator. We're seeing a, a little bit of that, but it's mainly Delta. What we're seeing more is kind of older, more fragile individuals who have chronic health conditions, which then the Omicron has destabilized. So I'll give you an example. Uh, in an 80-year-old guy with diabetes, kidney failure, might be in a nursing home, he gets a fever from Omicron and then becomes dehydrated and starts falling or gets really confused. Uh, It's a common scenario in hospital even before um, Omicron, but you see this and that can really, really expand quickly, right? Mm. Because a fever in a nursing home patient, even if it's mild, can be enough to uh, put them over the edge. So um, we aren't seeing as many people put on ventilators or even high dose um, uh, nasal um, oxygen Ervo for 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 hypo oxygen, right? So yeah. we're not seeing that. Uh, maybe a little bit, uh, uh, but uh, 
if we are seeing that it's in somebody who's unvaccinated. But the point being is that the overall picture is milder. There's just a lot more people. Yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing. Like we're, the volume is up and it's tough to, you know, we're getting these like not classic symptoms, like not as much uh, people requiring high levels of oxygen. Like when we talk to our, our respiratory therapists, relatively speaking, they're not following that many COVID patients compared to previous waves. And in, in the ICU, it's the unvaccinated or are, are, are like are the main main numbers. Like we're only still around nine or 10 in, in Ottawa. Um, but the ones that are um, like really sick or unvaccinated, there's also some of the question of whether that's Delta or, or uh, Omicron. Like we're not, I haven't seen that data yet, like uh, in terms of, of their phenotypes. And, um, and then the, a couple others are like cancer patients want, like that have been triple vax, but like obviously have poor immune response. Yeah. Um, and then a, a few incidentals, like clear incidentals. Um, and uh, oh, yeah. good point. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is the one thing that I think is good, and more of a challenge for the ward patients, I think, but yeah. clearly there's going to be a high number of uh, patients that swap positive for sure. Cause of how much is in the community. Um, and just to reinforce that the, the, the strain on the hospital issue, like a lot of this, yes, there's a lot of Omicron pe- people coming through. And what that means is they need isolation rooms. We need all the COVID precautions N 95, all the, all the gamut, but there also means that there's a lot of staff because there's so much in the community can't come to work. And so like, this is really a compounder. And I don't know how you feel about this Sumon, but I do at my personal level, <coughs> I think we do need to pivot a bit in terms of our IPAC practices, you know, like in terms of, so IPAC is uh, infection prevention. Oh, I don't know what the AC yeah, and control <laughs> and control. Yeah. Okay, good. On the spot, it was like a, yeah. And um, cause like, so just for everybody else, like classically you would, you would need to be isolated for, you know, uh, 10 or oh, actually it was more than 10 days back in the day, I think. You know, people, yeah. staff needed to be, days yeah, 14 days, staff, 14 days, um, you know, uh, and so now we're, 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 you know, the community, you, you have to isolate for five days, uh, but we're still having a bit of a longer um, or more classic uh, isolation and uh, quarantine measures. Do you have any thoughts on like if we should be pivoting at all uh, in regards to that? So first of all, it's really important for us to remember that uh, um, IPAC is like one of the most important things that we have in the hospital to help prevent infections. Uh, and they do such good work. I worked with them um, for a year in the first year of the pandemic, and I learned so much. So it's important. What Omicron's done, Omicron is basically a bull in a china shop, right? And a lot of the um, quarantine protocols that we're using, some of it is all the way back from what China was using in, in uh, February 2020. Uh, it's changed a little bit. It used to be 14 days for uh, a close contact and 14 days if you had COVID. The latter changed to 10 days. But even that was uh, deemed to be too long, especially with the variants. But we haven't really put that into policy. Um, you saw the CDC mention about the five days. Um, uh, and we haven't really, I, to my knowledge, we haven't exactly changed to that yet. But even now, I'm wondering, like, this, the sheer amount of COVID in the community, at some point, we may have to pivot to just not even testing people who are asymptomatic. 
I understand okay. there's going to be some transmission, but look, if you have an entire staff off, right? Think about this. If you have an entire, um, I don't know, a neurosurgery program off and somebody comes with a brain bleed, you know, that's way worse, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't treat it. So I think that's why, um, at least for the next couple of weeks, where we are going to be, we're kind of entering like the eye of the storm right now. And then it's going to come down, but we, we might have to pivot. Uh, otherwise, we won't have the ability to look after very sick patients or patients at all. Yeah, and I, I think we need that guidance before the storm really hits, if I'm being honest. Like, I think I worry that if we get, we're too reactive that it could get sloppy. But um, it's just something to think about. And, I, and I'm not going to pretend to know the answer. It's not my wheelhouse, but it's just a, an important question to ask if we do need to think about our approach. Are we going to test everybody, even if they're asymptomatic, um, you know, and, and knowing that uh, there is a risk of causing more spread? But, you know, there are at times are going to be things that are worse than, than COVID. As you said, if you need a emergency surgery, um, if you, uh, you know, have really bad uh, infection, like we, we gotta, we gotta think this through, but in, in my mind, it's important to be proactive about this. Um, so one thing we kind of touched on schools, like, you, you know, um, the fact that, uh, you know, they're closed and I, I've never asked you this question and, you could avoid it if you feel like it. Um, but I get this a lot, like where people are like, we can't go to school unless we, we like until we have the safety measures put into place and so forth without leading you. Like, do you feel schools are unsafe? Um, no, I mean, I think that um, we have to kind of figure out what the goal is. And, you know, for the longest time, you know, our goal was to try to stop all transmission or at least the bulk of transmission. That's not the goal anymore. We have to remember that everybody um, has now had a chance to get fully vaccinated. Um, you know, the vast majority uh, of people that are going to be in a school are not going to be high risk individuals. There are high risk individuals, but again, vaccine is there to provide uh, protection against severe disease. And, uh, you know, uh, before Omicron, yeah, of course, we saw school transmissions, but it wasn't this raging fire that we were seeing, for example, in the manufacturing sector in the Peel region, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, large households with the introduction of uh, a COVID case. It it wasn't like that. And um, I think that I, I very much applaud doing things that we can to improve things like air quality. I get it. I, I love that. I love the idea of, um, you know, having uh, like a protocol set uh, if people to identify people uh, or, you know, what to do if you start to have symptoms. But just like anything in this world, there's trade-offs, right? And mm-hmm. um, from what I understand is I think us and some parts of California are two of the jurisdictions that have had the longest amount of time for kids being out of school. And I think that the impact of this right now is immeasurable. We're going to see that uh, only in the next couple of years. Um, my kids uh, are young, but my my uh, oldest one is now in junior kindergarten. So it's not uh, you know physics 101, but she's there. She's uh, in school, and this is such an important aspect of their um, development. There's all sorts of uh, uh, good things about school from many different spheres, and not having kids in school the impact of that is way more negative than the uh, possibility of uh, COVID transmission. Uh, And again, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I just think that when I do the trade-off in the the risk benefit ratio in my head, for me, it it weighs heavily on the side of being in school. 
the kids yeah. being in person school. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, I, we don't need to talk about how much a devastating impact it is on their mental health, the the physical, the you know, obesity, the mental health disorder clinic, uh, like admissions, like eating disorders, general uh, general anxiety, depression. Um, and the thing for me, it's like, it's like often generational, these things that, you know, when you really damage these kids, it could impact their, how they treat their kids. Like, I, I just think the short sightedness of all of this is, is, is killing me. Um, and then in terms of like the safety of school, I, I, I always come back to the idea of like, what's the, what's the data to so say that it's not safe. And I'm with you. If we could improve air quality and, and all these things like prevent kids being probably avoid well, more, uh, less absent absenteeism, uh, less cold and, and flus and everything less COVID. But my question is like, is it, is it truly a problem now? You know, and the um, the thing that I always say, too, because like they're always talking about N95s and all this stuff in class, like you got to realize people, Suman and I will be in a, a person's like pre all this uh, 90, uh, N95 movement. Suman and I would be in somebody's COVID room or nurse. Better yet, a nurse would be wearing eye protection, uh, a surgical mask and a gown. And this patient could be coughing like crazy. And you're putting your stethoscope on their chest and they're breathing on you what, and all this stuff. And we weren't getting COVID. We were protecting ourselves. So to tell me that now, you know, now we need more and more. Like, I know we're dealing with Omicron, you know, and, you know, I haven't seen any data to say that we need N95s for this. But, um, like, I, I really do think we got to ask yourselves, are we, is that safety question really um like is like is there any data to support that schools aren't safe? Yeah, yeah and, and listen, I, I'll I'll tell you the other thing is that we have to also remember it's not just what uh, like the the transmission, it's also who's there, right? So um, if you look at transmission in a nursing home, right? Transmission in a nursing home can be very unsafe because the people who are in a nursing home are very medically fragile. Right. And especially if they're not vaccinated, you can get really sick and die, right? And mm. that's what we saw in the first wave. It was awful. Um, but in, in a school, like the overall risk profile is very different, right? And, um, and I think that if you're looking at it for the, the, the um, prevention of every single transmission, you're never going to get there. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, for the most part, in terms of what we're doing to protect the teachers and the students, I think that it's uh, not 100 percent, but it, but it works. I will say Omicron is, is different. Yeah. Omicron is certainly different. But that said, I think in the school we saw, uh, I don't know if you read about that um, um, issue happening in New York right now. So there was a, a, a big school in New York where there's all these teachers off. So they're actually oh, yeah. sending big cohorts of students into the auditorium because there's no one to supervise them. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't because the teacher was sick in the hospital dying. It's because of the quarantine rules, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and this is where I think that we have to, we really have to pivot. And at some point, we're in a transitional period right now, but at some point um, when you're in the community and if you, say 2025, if you have the sniffles and you have a fever and, and cough, you don't go and get tested. You just stay home mm -hmm. and then you go back to work or school when you feel better. You're not going to know what it was. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's how we've always done things. And all of these viruses have the same symptoms. And at that point in time with people, uh, you know, vaccinated against COVID, 
it's just going to be one of these circulating respiratory viruses and you don't need to uh, test yourself in the community. You won't even know what it is. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, and, and this actually pivots to a last topic and we kind of touched on a lot of things here, but exit strategy, how we get out yeah, of this man. bad boy. You know what I'm saying? This is a, the, those that have just joined Suman had to miss uh, the, our exit strategy episode because of um, uh, the birth of his lovely new daughter, third daughter. Um, but, and he, yeah. And, and I know you were excited about this episode. So like, we're, how, how do we exit this thing? Because I, I'll just say one thing. It is clear to me that whatever we're doing right now is not a sustainable strategy. And, and I think if anybody doesn't see it, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you know, we have a lot of these people that come, Hey, we need to do more restrictions, more restrictions. And I've been keep pushing and saying, but when do they stop? How do we, what do we do to get out of this? Because this is not some, this is not a long-term solution. So Dr. Chakrabarty, how do we, how do we exit this bad boy? This is really, really important because I think that right now we've clearly entered some type of new stage and especially with Omicron, this uh, massively transmissible virus that, it's hitting everybody, right? There's going to be, after it washes over us, there's going to be a significant amount of acquired immunity in the community. And that's going to have an effect, right? Because this type of immunity, uh, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's going to do something for the population, right? In, in changing our immunologic profile on the ground. So I think that if you kind of look at the end of a pandemic, pandemics don't like just end like that, right? Uh, but the one problem in this current pandemic is that we have a lot of, um, metrics. We have metrics, we have dashboards, we have um, news stations telling us what the daily count is. Uh, even though we all know that the daily count doesn't mean anything anymore, you know you all look at it. I'm guilty <laughs> of it. I just want that stupid thing to come down, right? Uh, even though I know it's not uh, accurate anymore, we all do it. But the thing is that psychological aspect of it is very important because I think that that's what kind of has fueled this. COVID's not going to go away. It's going to be with us in the background. It's going to have spikes uh, in respiratory virus season. But the thing is, is that so does influenza, which is it can be very serious uh, for old people, for children. Uh, there's other viruses, RSV, which can be deadly for uh, younger kids, rhinovirus, parainfluenza. We don't look at the case counts of these um, every day, every year. We don't base our risk assessment. Oh, no, the COVID case count is 600 today. I'm not going to go and see my friend. Uh, at uh, at uh, a restaurant today. That's how people are thinking. So part of this is going to be uh, kind of weaning ourselves off of these these data metrics. And I think that Omicron was a bit of a gift that way, is that the test, trace, isolate thing and keeping uh, tabs on every case in the community is broken. Possible. We can't do it, mm. right? Uh, although I'm still surprised we, we, we got 11,000 positive tests today, even with the targeted testing. Just shows you how much is out there. Right. But the point I'm making is that once that metric becomes less important, right, this is not going to be the forefront focus on everybody's life and mm -hmm. everybody's going to have a process. And uh, for those of you listening out there, I know that everybody is in a different place. Some people are like already, you know, having uh, uh, indoor um, uh, hugging uh, karaoke parties. Fine. Other people haven't seen anybody and they're in their basement, okay? We're all going to have a different process. But the point is, is that to start the process, it has to be an idea of changing our perspective. And that's going to be getting COVID out of our 
um, windshield and getting it into our rear view mirror. And I think that we can do that safely now because we have vaccination on the ground, because um, we have um, uh, a lot more knowledge. We have therapeutics, right? Mm. And I think the idea that we're not going to get rid of it, but as we can live with this safe, we just have to change our perspective. And I know this sounds funny, but testing and case counts and all that, the metrics, that's going to be the first thing that has to kind of come down and come away from our consciousness to be able to move forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we we need to, in my opinion, we got our vaccines. We have um, a therapeutics, as you mentioned, which I think are underappreciated, whether it's monoclonal antibodies, um, I'm, I, I looked at that flumoxamine study again, and I'm like, I'm not sure why this is not more widespread. For those that don't know, it's an antidepressant uh, shown to reduce severe disease. Um, you know, like, I think this is where we just need to be, once again, thinking outside the box and focus on interventions uh, and, um, and, and rely on our vaccines. And then have that kind of that ch- change of mindset where it's not all about the case case count dictating d- dictating things especially when we have a less virulent like and and to be honest with you like if it behaves like like it quote unquote should future variants hopefully are less virulent as well maybe more contagious but less virulent um because yeah once again i really hope we could we could start to having this dialogue and maybe one, one last th- thing i want to pick your brain about too is like how we could create a that dialogue though like I, I, I was, I had a, I mean, I don't know about you. Every once in a while, you have a bad Twitter week or social media week, and uh, I got drop kicked in the yeah, back of months. <laughs> I got drop kicked in the pelvis, and uh, and um, and basically, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I just to me, like we got to be above this. Like if we're going, we're twenty months into this, and we can't have better solutions. Like there's something wrong here. So like, uh, I, I just hope that we could, I'm not sure what the solution is, but I, I, I would love to have to try and find more common ground with maybe people that we're not seeing eye to eye with. Well, actually, I, I think part of that uh, quadro is the fact that we just haven't seen each other for, like, you know, I mean, I'm talking about yeah. in general, right? We haven't yeah. seen each other. Like, there's tons of people that I have disagreements with, but you know, when you see them in person and they go, Oh yeah, I remember, uh, you know, Paul, he's a great guy. Right. Uh, and even though I don't agree with him on this, you know, you can, you can talk about that. I, I think that's important. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, I'm not a policymaker. I'm certainly not. But I think going forward, one of the things that we saw here in um, the pandemic is that it kind of just highlighted the weakness of, uh, you know, our healthcare system in many ways is good, but this is one of the weaknesses. And, and it, it really kind of highlighted that. And I think short-term and long-term strategies are needed so that if we, if slash when we see another pandemic, or even if we, we see no another way. spike or of like cases, yeah, of new variants, or something happens, you know, it's not constantly. Like I will say that um, restrictions and community um, community restrictions have been used in the past. It's not that they've never been used, but it's not something that's been used to this extent for this long uh, in history, right? And the thing that troubles me is that you see it on Twitter, you see it in your friends that. Oh, you know, uh, we're 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 enjoying ourselves. We're outside, uh, uh, and that means that uh, the cases are going to go up. We're going to have to restrict, and I think that's something that I really hope we we move away from. Is just just because yeah, there's going to be respiratory viruses. 
um, we're going to see more sickness in hospital, but we don't constantly have to have that cloud of lockdown and restrictions hanging over us because I think that in itself has been very difficult for for the perceptions and um, you know psyche of everybody in the public because you know you, we shouldn't feel guilty going to a baseball game unless mm. you're a, a, you're a Leafs fan then then you should feel guilty but uh, I'm a, I'm a Habs fan in Toronto so uh, it's been trouble but you shouldn't feel guilty if I want to go out to a bar and have a have a burger I shouldn't feel guilty about that this is what we do we do these things together and um, I think that we need to get back to that and kind of um, examine our our humanity again and, and our connections, because I think there's going to be a lot of healing that happens in the next couple of years. I, I couldn't agree more, my friend. Like there's, there's going to be a lot of healing when I, you know, when I hear stories of, I haven't hit my, I haven't hugged my, my uh, grandparents that haven't hugged their grandchildren in two years. And um, you know, that, and the, that heightened anxiety. And this is where I thought also the risk assessment the, uh, was, it was vital. Cause you know, people, you know, thinking that they're going to kill grandma just by getting, you know, double or triple vax and they're tri- double or triple vax. And, you know, that, that's a heavy weight on people's shoulders. And, and like, we need to, we need to step away from that. We need to really go back to being connected again. And, you know, especially with this, in my opinion, this mental health crisis, that's going to be um, going to be coming or knocking on the door over the next years. You want to know something crazy that my, my dad said to me the other day, my dad's uh, uh, over 80. Right. Mm. And he said to me, um, and it, it just has, it has a bit more of a poetic uh, um, feel to it when it's in Bengali. That's what I speak. But he told me that like, look, I know that I'm, uh, I'm at higher risk. I'm fully vaccinated, but I would rather be put at risk of getting COVID and dying. If I hugged my kids rather than not hug you again for, you know, there's a point where I hadn't seen him in over a year. Right. Mm. And that's another thing. This is, it's like, you know, yes, we do want to protect our um, elderly friends and relatives, but there are people too, they can make their own decisions. And many people are just like, you know what? I can't, just can't do this again. Like I, like I would rather get COVID and die than, you know, if I'm at a, a get together with my, my my uh, family then have to be away from them again and i think mm. that i hope we never go down this path again of um you know uh, separating ourselves from each other because that's kind of who we are as is as, as, as people that's that's what that's what it is to be human my friend and that, it's just sad to hear that too like to think that you have to make that make a decision like that in you know what i mean but um suma as usual my friend i want to thank you for for agreeing to come on uh doing the live show live quadcast solving healthcare um it's just you know it's just nice to be able to have a a discussion a a nuanced one where you could share ideas and 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 different perspectives and focused on like moving forward not just whining and 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 complaining but like hey what can we do to get through this and i i i want the listeners to kind of continuously have that tone of not just being apathetic to what's happening and just, but constantly asking ourselves, what do we, how do we get through this? Cause a lot of you have stepped up. A lot of you is like, you know, with time to get vaccinated, I'm going to get vaccinated. You do, you were needing to stay home the first wave and all the other ways you stayed home, you did your part. But now I think it's time to ask for more. I really do think it's time to ask yeah. for more and say like, we've done everything you've asked for us. Decision makers, 
How do we get through now? How do we get to the finish line? And uh, Sumon, once again, you're part of the you're part of that conversation and the 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 bravery and the the, the putting yourself out there. I, I you know I, I got to just commend it. So I just thanks so much okay. for doing this. You too, time. too. But yeah, it's great talking to you. And uh, uh, I think now uh, we talk about this a lot. I'm I'm pretty good in the lead, even over Isaac and Zane. And for for, you, for appearances think, on your show. Yeah, so, uh, Isaac has been like a long time. I think he. <laughs> I think he's retired, but like, yeah, you are by far number one on the Quadcast, and uh, uh, I think you'll Been always be. Yeah, absolutely. And one one time we're doing this show live, or like with each other, like face to face. It's always better that way. Oh, totally, totally. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Those on Twitter, this was our first time doing it, so I apologize if uh, I came across with awkward audio. Facebook, you know we do this right. You know we do this right. Follow us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and now, um, uh, yeah, on YouTube, iQuadcast, and um, leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Um, follow us anywhere. We, we have our shows on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and we love you. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. <laughs>